0: me romance read read me romance read me romance read read me romance you could take a look in a book that's fine or you could sit back relax and unwind and read me romance read read me romance the shrink by cassie mint they sent me to therapy against my will but since i met my therapist whole armies couldn't keep me away dr sterling is the highlight of my week and my safe place on campus He's stern and assertive. His blue eyes stare right into my soul, and he's always listening to me, judging me. God is delicious. I never want our appointments to end. Too bad we kissed that one time, and too bad we can't seem to stop. Now we're crossing so many lines together. We're a ticking time bomb. The Shrink is a short and steamy age-gap forbidden romance starring a chatty college student and her long-suffering shrink. That's The Shrink by Cassie Mint. Get it now in Kindle Unlimited welcome back lady listeners hey welcome back lady listeners we have a brand new book from shaw Hart. it's called saddled which i feel like that just says everything you need it to right there saddle <laughs> up nice. saddle in get ready we've got a lot of shit to talk about yes so yeah so we've got a brand new book from shaw Hart with us we're so excited to have her on the podcast um yeah, there's lots of stuff to talk about, but we'll get to all her good stuff in just a little bit, and we'll play the book with you. But before that, we're just going to chit-chat. Um, did you see the photos of Kim Kardashian in the Marilyn Monroe dress? What did you yes. think? I didn't see <laughs> I thought people's reactions,
1: that's what really I was like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. whoa. I know. Coming like, come left and right. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know I was just I think I was neutral to it in fact Mm -hmm. maybe I was more nicer I was like you know maybe I don't know enough about Marilyn Monroe but I was just like to a degree could Kim Kardashian be the new age kind of Marilyn Monroe to a degree I can
0: see that I can see the representation of that
1: i mean of course she's not like mm -hmm. it's different it's different times we have social Mm -hmm. media the way things are done are differently Mm -hmm. so i don't know i didn't see as harsh as everybody else especially when i was like they're like this is a piece of art this is history and
0: i was like then why is it in
1: ripley's believe it or not
0: (laughs) (laughs) i did wonder that too i was like jesus they got six million dollars for a fucking dress okay (laughs) okay
1: And, and somebody, I bet you, you know, after
0: we sold, that's after the last incredible. year,
1: Ripley's, mm-hmm. believe it or not, is probably having a few hard years with COVID. Mm-hmm. And I bet you, Kim Kardashian gave him a few million dollars to wear it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no kidding.
2: What
0: is you know, What I think is interesting is, you know, I mean, I'm I'm neutral on Kim Kardashian. I don't love her, dislike her. She's just a celebrity. Um, I thought it was interesting how the dress fit her because she said she had to lose like 16 pounds to get into it, which was weird
1: because I thought, yes,
0: I'm guessing it's the ass 100%. The ass 100%. Because I was surprised how loose it was at like in the breast area, like Mm -hmm. around her chest, that it was looser than it looked on Marilyn. But you know, this is again neutral on Kim K, but I want to go back to Marilyn Monroe for a second because. I think everybody has a really sort of, uh, really, uh, I don't even know how to say it. Like, they put her on a pedestal, and I don't really under I never understood the attraction to Marilyn Monroe. I just thought she was an okay actress. I mean, nothing really blew me away. I think the reason she was so popular was maybe the tragic way in which she died. Like, I mean, you know that, but...
1: and because she would wear a dress like that when that was frowned
0: upon. Yeah, I mean, she was sexy, but you have to think she wore that dress mm-hmm. to sing happy birthday to a president mm-hmm. that she was having an affair with. And he was married. Yeah, and the wife was there. So yeah. it's just like, I mean, very much like a slap in the face in that sort of respect. I just don't know why Marilyn, idolized, that's the word I want to use. I don't know why Marilyn Monroe is so idolized, especially for someone that like had curves. When I think like, okay, like she's probably a size 10 today. You know, no, I think like, it's
1: actually, she's like an, a size eight because the sizes have changed and people have talked maybe about it. So. They were like, because everybody was like, Marilyn Monroe was a 13. And
0: so I heard somebody say, no, well, technically it was this, this, and she was about a size eight. Whatever the reason would be. I understand that maybe back then that that was sort of scantily clad and she was curvy. But I have to think there were larger women back then as well. They just weren't, you know, again, idolized for that sex symbol. So I can see a correlation between, you know, Kim K being like the the sex yeah, symbol and that, that kind of thing. She pushed the boundary. She pushed
1: mm-hmm. the line for women and what they could wear and what was told no and that, mm-hmm. which I can understand. But then at the same time she done some kind of and I don't recall. I know mm-hmm. that Marilyn Monroe oh, did all these things, wearing the clothes and all that stuff. But I don't recall her being a huge activist. hmm like, Yeah. Sometimes I yeah. feel like she's treated like she was a huge activist. hmm
0: You know, I think if you want to look to uh, something of the kind of the same caliber would be Dolly Parton. Someone who was like very sexualized, um, you know, that was often like, you know, made fun of for her body and that kind of thing and the clothes she wears and that sort of stuff. But again, a woman who is, you know, outspoken about her activism and for women and what they should be allowed to do. So it's just interesting to me that Marilyn Monroe was the the choice, but maybe that's a generational thing. So I liked that Kim K wore the dress because I thought, fuck it, if anybody's going to wear it, why not her? Who else? Anybody can wear this dress. What's stopping them, you know? Kim K is just the one that did it. And that's what people, that's what makes people mad because she's the one that did it. Yeah. So, but, you know, they're just looking for a reason with her too. You know, it's just like she could breathe wrong and they're just going to put it on a tabloid. What I did find interesting was that, um, that I heard about I was on the radio. I was, They said something about that there was an incident with Kim K there. And I guess Pete was with her and he was trying to shield her from like the paparazzi or something in an elevator. Did you hear about this? Mm-mm. And like he like stands in front of her and like puts his hands on the mirror like behind her or whatever and like kind of like blocks her body so they can't take pictures of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the woman that was on the radio was like, it was the hottest fucking thing I've ever seen. She was like the way he just like pushes her up against the elevator and like puts his arms on the side of her and blocks her and I was like, why have I not found this gift yet? Why have I not unearthed this photo? Super hot, I know. I was like, yes. I don't there's just something about him I love. And so I don't know. But I do remember I one person. Sorry, I do no, remember
1: no. one person saying that they think some of the things she was doing to get in the dress was like damaging the young girls because she was like, "I only ate chicken and clean vegetables to fit into this," and mm-hmm. I looked to wear this or whatever but i guess yeah. they're always saying that kind of shit yeah true and i, I mean
0: i don't know like i uh, didn't
1: think it was as big a deal as everybody was making they were like going nuts and that's and that's why i was like okay if you guys think this is such a piece of
0: history again
1: yes why
0: is it not in the smithsonian with jackie kennedy's you know why not with her dress from the inauguration like why is it next to, you know, all these other, like... Really Wax
1: uh, figures and stuff.
0: Or yeah, whatever. I know. It's interesting, yeah, that that they have it and it's not in a museum with other... Like I said, I mean, Jackie O, like her, like, lavender suit with the pillbox hat mm-hmm. from Kennedy's inauguration, that's in the Smithsonian. You can go see it right now. The fucking puffy shirt from Seinfeld is in the Smithsonian. Is it really? Yes, it I'll is. I've it. seen it that's there. Yep. So, you know, there's stuff like that, so...
1: What I did think was sad was this year, Chloe did get invited. I don't think she's been invited before. And she's looked great. I thought I she looked great. Cur- I actually thought all the Kardashians, except for Courtney's outfit, looked them. cool. I liked... Mm-hmm. Kendall was wearing this, like... Um, or Kylie was wearing this huge, like, puffy wedding dress. It had these cute little mesh sleeves. And she actually had a ball cap on backwards. And it had a veil that came down a little bit to, like, this... I don't know. I thought it was interesting looking. Okay. It's kind of cute. hmm And her sister had a black one. It kind of matched. But mm-hmm. Chloe looked good. She came in this almost like her sister's dress, but more modern. Yeah. This gold thing and these gloves. And mm-hmm. she looks sexy in it. But I just find it so sad that everybody is like, she gets her invitation to the Met Galley for the first time. And mm-hmm. everybody's saying she's never looked hotter. But I'm like... She's never been skinnier.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of people equate that with beauty. I know.
1: I'm just like, that's got to, like, mess with her head. Like, 100%. And I feel like she has to be starving when I look at her because mm-hmm. she is not built to be that small. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel like, she, yeah, when I look at her, I feel like she's not, she's so tiny. Like, I'm like, I it almost looks painful. Have you ever looked at somebody really skinny and you're like, oh, yeah, God, it's painful.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I mean, a lot of people can't help being super skinny, but with her, it's definitely a lifestyle choice. Yeah. So, you know, but there's something I was looking at earlier today where it was talking about, you know, just the diet culture of, you know, our parents in that generation and you know, they showed a video and it's so funny because I had this. It was called Get In Shape Girl and it was for little girls. It was like for six to maybe 10 years old
2: mm-hmm. and it was a
0: cassette with a workout on it. And you got like a sweatband and like armbands and stuff and like this little thing to like exercise with to give a seven year. Can you imagine doing no. that now? No. I got that for one of my birthdays. Because it was just so normalized, like that that whole thing was just like that's I wanted it. Like yeah. that's what I wanted for my birthday. I remember really wanting that specific gift. You know that's what's it's crazy to me looking back. but you know, I saw um I, you know, another friend of mine was having this conversation, and she was saying that like she was talking about like the trauma and stuff and you know of diet culture and things like that. and she said her mom was just really quiet while she was having the discussion. And she said, you know, afterwards that her mom was like, seeing you guys have this conversation opened my eyes to what our generation has done. Mm -hmm. And she said, and it makes me feel like I should be stronger and I should be more vocal about the things that were done to me from my, Mm -hmm. you know, from that childhood. So it's like, you know, I, I don't blame, you know, the the generation before me because we're only as educated as we are in this moment. You know, we can't be, you know, educated about the future because it hasn't happened. Yeah. So you're know, only as educated as we are right now. So we use the tools we have to do the best that we can. But this is undoing generational trauma. If you can talk about this openly and speak it out loud and have a parent or someone else in a different generation recognize this. This one does trauma for our own kids.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know,
0: I actually had an example of this tonight, and it didn't have to do with food or anything like that or weight. But there was a moment when we were eating ice cream at dinner or after dinner was over. I was cleaning the kitchen. The kids had an ice cream cone. And my youngest one, I had put a marshmallow in the bottom of the cone before I put the ice cream on it because she loves that because the ice cream gets down with the marshmallow and it gets cold and melty. It's awesome. Anyways, so she's eating it and she's kind of making this funny noise when she does it because she's just enjoying it. And my oldest one looks over and she was like, you sound like a pig. And when she said it, like, I know she was trying to be funny because the sound she was making sounded like a pig. Mm -hmm. And Hallie got really upset and got super teary eyed. And I was like, Lydia, you need to apologize. And she was like, well, that's not what I meant. And I was like, this is a teachable moment right here, guys. Mm -hmm. I said, What You said hurt her. It doesn't matter what you intended. Mm -hmm. It's what she felt and what she heard. And then she was trying to argue with me. She was like, well, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. Like, that's not what I meant. And I said, no, no, no. There doesn't have to be an argument. All you have to do is apologize and recognize that what you said was not what she heard and validate her feelings. And if you do that, it's the end of it. Yeah. And she was just kind of like, oh, it was like that hadn't occurred to her. that's all she has to do is validate those feelings, and it's over. Yeah, you're not and really I, saying that you were wrong. You're saying, "Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, I hurt you." Yeah, yeah, but it's the, just like, sorry, oh, it was it hurt her. Yeah. yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like if you don't have that that whole conversation. And you just let it slide. It's those little things I think or I felt Mm -hmm. that just build up and build up and build up until you have no self confidence, no self esteem. You know, you feel like people make fun of you all the time. You're insecure. Like it's those little things that dig and dig and dig because nobody ever stood up and stood in front of that for you. Yeah. You know, like no parent or whoever ever got in front of you and stopped the person that was doing it. And that's what I saw in that moment was if I didn't move in front of that and say something, it was just going to get gone. And then Hattie was just going to go to bed with these hurt feelings.
1: Yeah. And And it's strange, the little things that you, little moments like that, that you remember mm -hmm. when you look back. For sure. That those those little
0: comments. Yeah. yeah, These
1: little nuggets that nobody Mm -hmm. else would ever remember that just kind of set that'll stay with you forever. Yeah. So
0: it's, you know, again, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I could have not said anything because she's seven, Lydia's 11, like they're going to annoy each other, shit's going to happen like that. But the more that that's normalized, the more that that breaks trauma. Yeah. So that's, if anything, I could reiterate that to everyone out there listening. It doesn't have to be a child. It can be anyone in your life mm-hmm. when you see this happen, mm-hmm. you know, to to speak it out loud, really is change i think so um mother's day is this weekend do you have any plans <laughs> are you doing anything for mother's day i don't have
1: any plans
0: no, I actually forgot about it entirely <laughs> until I saw an ad on Facebook. And I was like, oh, fuck.
1: <laughs> I didn't forget. Like, I sent my mom her flowers, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I know I, I asked Rob to do something for me. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was, though. Oh, <laughs> I, I asked him. I was like, one of the things I wanted was, oh, I wanted him to put the rest of the chandelier pieces up on some of the sh- lights that we hung out. yeah uh-huh. like all the pieces haven't been but it's just time consuming yeah yeah there and put them all mm-hmm. so i was like for mother's day i would like yeah, <laughs> give them a chore so. i remember
0: hallie has two little ones in her room she has these little light bulbs and they'll have chandeliers around them and i remember when the electricians were here and they were you know redoing the house they had to rewire the whole house and put in all the um, light fixtures and i remember him saying those two little chandeliers he could have gotten the whole house done in the time it took him to do those, mm-hmm. even though they were tiny. He was like well, the hooks and wires and everything is just so time consuming.
1: Well, somebody pointed it out to me, they were like, well, before you mounted the thing, you should have put them on there first. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. It's like my dad would have probably broke them and they would have been falling off. <laughs> yeah. And- I was going to
0: say, that's easy to say though, afterwards mm-hmm. when it goes in safely and right the first time. Yeah. So I don't have any plans um, for Mother's Day. I just hope that I don't have to do laundry. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's the only thing I just don't want to. I don't want to do laundry or dishes. Like, just give me one day off, okay? Just give me one yeah. day. I'll um, say on my list of stuff to talk about, um, I wanted to ask, summer is coming up. And there's this thing in my town and that uh, they've opened it up recently. It's called the Hive and it's a shared office space. And I think they have it maybe not this necessarily the name of it, the Hive, but they have spaces like this everywhere. But um, it is an old house that they converted into an office. And so upstairs, there's two offices that you can rent that people pay like full time rent. And then you can um, become a member of the Hive and it's like 80 bucks a month and you can come and use their facilities anytime you want. It's 24 seven. They have open office space. They have conference rooms. You just have to schedule like you need to see clients or you have a meeting. Like let's say you work from home and you want to have a meeting, but you don't want everybody to come to your home. This yeah. is a space that you can rent to do this so upstairs there's one big office they call it the queen bee and it's like 1500 a month or something like that for the office space and there's a smaller one that's like 800 a month and then the little like yeah anybody can come come downstairs there's like a kitchenette there's like you know desks and stuff there's outdoor seating and space so I thought this was so cool though especially for people working at home in the summertime with their kids at home yeah so I was like, this is fantastic. I'm going to try this out this summer and see because I thought, like, okay, I can ride at home if I get up, like, really early and stuff before the kids are up and running around. And You, you know, impress
1: the hell out of me sometimes when you get up and you're done so early. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, I just know some days that I have to or I'll just get so behind and mm-hmm. I won't be able to do it till like, 7 o'clock. And then I feel like a jerk because you get it late, you know? So, I write
1: so late, though.
0: I know, but I know you don't want to get it at seven o'clock and then still have to write. Sometimes it's nice to get it early and marinate on it. Yeah, you know? I, I,
1: that's one thing I do
0: like to yeah. do because then mm-hmm. when I'm running
1: errands or working, you'll be out, thinking I think about it. it. Yep, yeah.
0: I know. So, but yeah, this place is really cool. Like I said, you can also rent the conference room just for the day. So, one of my friends who was telling me about it, she is part of like this. Um, this school thing that does field trips and stuff and they had to have a meeting with their directors. And she was like, I went to this place. They were like, oh, meet us at the hub. And she was like, the what? And she said, Yeah, they had rented out the conference room for like four hours. And when we went up there, we had our meeting and that was it. And we left. And I was like, that is so smart for yeah. like a shared office space. So I, I just thought that was, you know, like I said, with summer and everything coming up, it was just kind of good timing too to be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to try this out and see how it goes. So I was like for 80 bucks a month, like to to know I have a space I can go to. Because there is a coffee shop here, but it's really busy. Like yeah. every time, and there's hardly any seats when I go in, like it's our really Starbucks busy. are like
1: that. I'll see people working in there. And I'm like, God, how they and I'm one that's so loud. I I'm pretty good with sound around me, and mm-hmm. it still annoys me.
0: Yeah, I can't because there's just so much chit chat. It's not like just quiet working, it's people talking, having conversations, calling out names, like That to me isn't a conducive writing environment. Like I could probably go and like answer emails, but if I had to like focus on something, I'd never get it done. I'd never get a chapter done. I'd just sit there and spin my wheels all day. So this is kind of cool that there's like, and they have like a quiet rule in there. They were like, if you're on your phone or whatever for more than a minute, you need to go outside or whatever. If there's a conference room going, you know, if a conference is going on, keep the door shut, like that kind of thing. So I thought that was kind of cool that it's just like a respectful workplace, but you don't have to do anything <laughs> like you just go in when you want yeah, i could literally nice. go right now if i wanted to so and that's kind of cool too i'm like well what if my internet fucks up i guess i could go there yeah it's actually a really cool concept i know i was thinking about it. i was like your dad should do something like i this. know it's the
1: same thing i was like i want to tell my dad about this it's just an mm-hmm. interesting
0: Yeah, it is. It's really cool. And like the people that work there, you are that are members or whatever, you get your own designated mailbox. So you can have that as your business address. Like, so again, if you, you know, work from home or if you have a small business and you don't want that to be like done in your home, this is a great place to go and maybe not make your product. But again, to have meetings or clients or even do Zoom calls or something, if you don't want to do them in your house, like that kind of thing. I'd be curious to know
1: how big it is and if they have a limit, like they're like, okay, we have this many members. We Mm -hmm. can't have any more. We're not going to have,
0: I don't know. I can always ask. I know that they, like I said, they have two offices upstairs. They converted the house into that. So, and then the other spaces, there's two, there's uh, one huge conference room. There's another room that has like a bunch of chairs and tables, kind of like a study area for like, Mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of people. And then there's, there's, um, it's kind of like a, like a big dining room living area where there's a kitchenette. And then there's like a couple of tables shared, like a coffee shop. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of how it's set up. And then there's outdoor seating. There's like just tables and chairs outside that are set up. And it's literally like you could walk in and anywhere in there, as long as somebody's not sitting down, just sit and go to work. You should hit that place with your Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> that's actually a good idea you know it's like two blocks from here too Like really? it's, it's literally i could walk to it from I my house a walk
1: there, mm-hmm. there yeah you
0: know. yeah mm-hmm. well we're and we're right downtown too so it's like up second street so yeah it's just like right up there mm-hmm. it's this really cool concept so anyways if, if you're considering something like this or you have a small business and you want to expand but don't want to invest in a huge monthly business rent you know, every month, like, I mean, there's no way I'd spend, you know, $1,500 a month on rent. Like, and that's tax write off. Yeah. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so that's kind of nice. But, um, but yeah, there's no way I'd, I'd want to spend $1,500 on the office space if I have a designated office at home. That makes no sense. You know, yeah. like, I can write at home. It's fine. You know, but and I don't summer, though, feel like I'm
1: pressured to go there either. Yeah. Because if I feel like pressured, then I won't want to do it. It's like when you used to uh-huh. get arcs.
0: And when you felt like you had to read it, you no longer wanted to read it. (laughs) Yes, exactly, when you're required to do it. So, yeah, I mean, this is just nice, uh, you know, for summertime and stuff. If I get frustrated, I mean, at least for a few months, you know, it's nice and quiet when the kids are at school. But, man, those summer days, when they get bored and they get rowdy, fuck my life. All right, let's talk a little bit about Shaw Hart. She's brought us, like I said, the brand-new book, Saddled. Let me read her author bio. USA Today bestselling selling author Shaw Hart writes contemporary and new adult romance. She loves writing insta-love romances that always end and happily ever afters. She lives in a constant state of motion, chasing after her two children and three dogs. Shaw enjoys the simple things in life like spending time with her family and friends. When she's not doing that, she's reading romance books, watching stand-up comedy or crime TV shows. Her favorite book tropes are secret baby and boss employee romance. She's a Pinterest addict, dog lover, tea snob, and wannabe yogi. That's cute. Wannabe yogi. Uh-huh. All right. This is the bio for Saddled. Uh, yeah. She's a princess locked away in a wooden tower. Twyla Grace should love her life. She has a nice house, a wealthy father, and just graduated from college. What more could a girl want? For Twyla, the answer has always been Seth. He's always wanted to be a Oh, my God. <laughs> That too. <laughs> He's always wanted to be her white knight. When Seth Avery first met Twyla, he instantly knew two things. One, she was the one for him. And two, she was also way too good for him. When she when she left, he let her go. He thought that college was what she wanted. and He just wanted her to be happy. Do the princess and the pauper only get their happily ever after in fairy tales? Now that she's back in Sequoia, though, will Seth be able to let her go again? All right, so Saddled is tied to the Sequoia Stud Farm Series, which I just love so much. That whole series releases later this year, and for the giveaway, she is doing a signed paperback this week, so... Make sure you check that out.
1: I'm so shocked that she hasn't been. I feel like she's on the podcast. <laughs> I know. Like I was loading her stuff in, uh-huh. into our website. I was going to copy the old one and change some of the information. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I was like, she's not in here. I thought this was like her second time on here. I don't like, like no. no? Maybe I
0: just <laughs> see her all the time. I was going to say. I, I read her too. So I can't I'm just go like, anywhere and not see her, which is great. That's what you want.
1: Yeah. Maybe.
0: Yeah, but I was sure she
1: had. But maybe you're right. maybe just because I see her everywhere and I read her and stuff. So All
0: yeah, right. for sure. All right, well, let's get into the first installment. All
1: right, we'll see you guys on the other side.
0: Darkly Ever After: An Organized Crime Anthology. The men of organized crime aren't white knights with quick trigger fingers and ruthless souls. They're tall, dark, and deadly taking what they want and decimating anything that stands in their way these men rule from their bloody thrones only a woman's touch can tame the beasts lurking inside bringing light to the darkness love to the ruin it may not be hearts and flowers but it's darkly ever after darkly ever after anthology features 18 dark romance stories in the sinister underworld of organized crime featuring authors like celia webb gwen mcname Abby Cook, Addie James, and more. That's Starkly Ever After, an organized crime anthology. Grab it now for 99 cents.
2: This is Revved Up by Cameron Hart. Read for you by Mackenzie Cartwright. Chapter One. Malachi. The smell of diesel. Beer and dirty money fills the underground bar. I throw back a shot of bourbon, grunting as the alcohol burns my throat and settles in my stomach. Letting out a sigh, I wipe my hand down my face and then look around the shady establishment. Smoke curls up into the dim lights, making everything hazy around the edges. Music pumps from the old jukebox on the other side of the room and drunk college kids are rubbing against each other on the dance floor. I wince at the scene, then drop my eyes back down to the notebook spread out in front of me. The numbers dance across the page, and I rub my eyes, trying to focus. I'm the official bookie for all of Sequoia University's sporting events, or maybe I should say unofficial. All bets placed are run through the Quintero family, the revered crime family owns this small California town and several others, including some across the border in Mexico. I found myself in the unfortunate position of owing them a fuck ton of money about a decade ago, thanks to my father. Instead of putting a bullet in my father's head, Alvarez Quintero accepted my offer to work the books for a college teams in exchange for my old man's life. I've been working on cars for as long as I can remember, and I thought I hit the jackpot when I was hired on as a mechanic for the Sequoia University racing team. That, coupled with my knack for numbers and statistics, made me an ideal candidate to replace the former Quintero family bookie. Nine and a half goddamn years of setting bets, collecting debts, and burning the candle at both ends Nine and a half years of dealing with the scum of the earth, scurrying around this bar and gambling away money they don't have. Money that could feed their kids or pay the rent. But I know all too well gambling addiction is never that simple. I watched my old man piss his money away in search of just one more win. Double or nothing, then we'll be set for life, he used to tell me. Somehow, we always ended up with nothing. The front door swings open, letting in fresh air as well as light from the street lamps outside. A tall man clambers down the stairs leading into the bar, and he's welcomed by a round of cheers. It must be Hendrix Coulter. He won the race today and is likely here to let everyone buy him a drink. He's a good guy, lots of energy and determination, especially on the track. His eyes catch mine over the crowd, and he nods. I tip my chin up, acknowledging his win without having to go up and make a big deal about it. I'm not much for words unless they're absolutely necessary. I force myself to focus on the numbers. After today's big win for Hendrix, I know I'll have some very happy clients, and very poor clients. Checking over the list of payouts I have to contact... I groan when I come across Stephen Lane. He won this time, but it's not even close to making up for the debt he owes the family. Stephen somehow keeps finding just enough money to not sick the dogs on him. But my patience is wearing thin. I, Hendrix, a voice booms over the loud music. I turn my head, gritting my teeth when I see the man himself, you won me a ton of money today, buddy, he says, clapping Hendrix on the shoulder. Let me buy you a drink. Hendrix nods his head while I scowl. Of course, Steven would never be late to collect winnings. Paying off old bets is a different story. If he thinks he's going to see a single penny of his winnings from today, he's sorely mistaken. A fact I'm about to tell him with my fists if necessary. Yeah. There's a third reason I was given the bookie position. Not only do I have connections with the racing team and a knack for numbers, but I'm a big, burly motherfucker. When I tell people to pay up, they generally decide it's in their best interest to do so. Standing up, I take a deep breath and prepare myself for dealing with this dipshit. Amazing finish, man, really, Steven slurs as he grins at Hendrix. I step up behind him and roughly grip his shoulder. Hendrix looks at me, then at Steven, before holding his hands up and backing away, smart dude, I always knew I liked him. Just the man I'm looking for, I grunt as I turn him around to face me. Malachi, my man, he exclaims. I want to punch that stupid look off his face. You got some coin for me? I laugh humorlessly, then drag the sorry fuck back to my spot in the far corner, shoving him into the booth, then sitting across from him. Your winnings today will cover a third of your debt, I inform him. Steven sputters, his jovial, naive grin twisting into anger. And since you're here, let's go ahead and chat about when exactly you'll be paying off the remainder. What? He finally finds his voice, his chest heaving with frustration as his face turns a deep shade of red. I sit calmly, calculating what the new amount he owes is. Stephen goes on a rant, shouting every four-letter word he can think of. No one pays us any mind. I let Stephen work out his anger, noting that even though he's loud and livid, he hasn't moved from his seat. Maybe he's smarter than I give him credit for. When he's finally out of breath, I look up. Reality is setting in. I've seen many clients go through the stages of grief when it comes to gambling and owing a debt. Okay, look, he finally says, I don't have the money. Shocking. I don't say anything, I just keep staring him in the eye, waiting for him to tell me what he's going to do about it. But. Ah. Uh, Steven looks around the room, probably hoping one of his drinking buddies will bail him out. Oh, Okay, I have a solution for the time being. His glassy eyes light up as he grabs his phone, then starts typing out a furious text. Just give me a few minutes. It'll all work out, I promise. No need to get so grumpy, right? He goes for a joke, but I don't move a single muscle in my body, not even to roll my eyes. Steven spins his phone on the tabletop, checking it every few moments before fiddling with the settings. The sweat beating on his forehead and upper lip shows how nervous he is. She's here, Steven says, jumping to his feet. Not so fast, I growl, standing up and crowding close behind him. Look, she's right there, Steven whines as he points across the floor. I blink a few times hoping to clear the vision I just had of a fucking angel standing in this seedy dump. But no, she's still here, all soft and curvy and completely out of place. My jaw pops with how hard I'm clenching my teeth. I'd like to glare at Stephen for tarnishing this goddess by luring her into this bar, but I can't seem to rip my eyes away from the most perfect woman in existence. I drink her in, devouring every inch of her curvy frame. Thick thighs, hips that my fingers long to sink into, and a slight dip in her waist, all leading to round, full breasts that would taste delicious. I just know it. Light brown hair hangs around her shoulders, curling at the end slightly. It makes her look young and innocent, and too damn pure to be in this establishment. Pink lips turn down into a frown, her cute button nose scrunching up as she looks at her surroundings. The angel turns her head, and hazel eyes strike me to my very core. I can't breathe, can't fucking think when she's looking at me. I've never believed in love, and certainly never love at first sight, but goddamn, I don't know what else it could be. I want to protect her cradle her close, and make sure she never has to dirty herself with this life ever again. I want to hear her dreams and find out how I can make them come true. I want to suck on her puffy bottom lip then kiss her soundly before licking every inch of her body. What the fuck? Malachi, this is my sister, Briar. Briar, I repeat. I don't care who the fuck she is. She's mine now. Chapter Two Briar Obsidian eyes lock onto mine, and everything else fades away. I'm no longer standing in a disgusting bar that smells of cheap alcohol and stale cigarettes. Instead, a diesel and spice scent wraps around me, And I know it's coming from the hulking man staring at me. Malachi, this is my sister, Briar, my dumbass brother says. I want to glare at him for dragging me away from my book and fuzzy blanket. But I can't seem to pull my eyes away from the dark, chiseled giant standing a few feet away from me. Malachi, apparently. Briar, he repeats softly. Holy hell, that voice, gravelly and worn, like he's been through hell and back. Yet, it's still rich and full, rolling over me and prickling my nerves. The way he says my name, almost reverently, has my belly tingling and thighs squeezing together. I'm not sure how I feel about my libido kicking in after 22 years of dormancy. Right, Stephen says bouncing on the balls of his feet. I look over at him, frowning when I see him wringing his hands together in front of him. It's not the first time I've had to collect my brother from a shady bar, and these interactions never end well. When I got his text 20 minutes ago, I almost ignored it. However, my brother practically raised me by himself while my mom chased after men, money, and adventure. As for my dad's whereabouts, well, that's anyone's guess. I try to have extra grace and patience for my brother, since he had to grow up fast and figure out how to take care of a kid while still being one himself. Things have snowballed in recent years, and I'm not sure how much more of this I can take. A hand wraps around my bicep, and I instinctively jerk it away. Stephen tightens his grip and leans closer to whisper in my ear just play it cool bee i have a plan i'm about to ask him why his plan involves me but then steven shoves me forward rather forcefully i gasp and trip over my own feet squeezing my eyes shut and bracing myself to land face first on the sticky floor instead i'm cocooned in warmth the now familiar spicy earthy scent permeating every cell and making me lightheaded for a second. I have every intention of stepping away from the tatted-up Greek god of a man, but I find myself clinging to him even harder. He tightens his hold on me, and a surge of confusing longing rises up inside of me. It's almost like I miss him, like we've always been together, but we were separated for an eternity. Crazy, I know, and yet, there's no denying how safe I feel right here in Malachi's arms as he shields me from every bad thing. As if sensing my thoughts, Malachi combs his fingers through my hair, cupping the back of my neck and tucking my head under his chin. I somehow know he doesn't want me to see whatever filth and crime is happening in the bar, and my heart melts at his thoughtfulness. So, uh, we're good then? I mean, I'm definitely going to get the money for you, man. I don't want to get on your bad side, (laughs) Stephen rambles, laughing nervously. Wait, what the hell is happening? Malachi must be confused as well. What? He rasps out. God, I can feel his gruff timbre deep in my core, rattling something desperate and needy loose. What did you say? malachi asks again frustration creeping into his tone collateral steven says more clearly for now just until i get the money sign of good faith right i spin around in malachi's arms my heart stuck in my throat as i stare at my brother malachi grips my hips pulling me back so i'm pressed up against him Maybe I should be scared that this hulking beast won't let me out of his embrace, but it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. I have zero reason to trust this man, but I feel safer with him than I've felt with my brother in a long time. Stephen, I say slowly, still trying to wrap my mind around this latest betrayal. You can't be serious. His hazel eyes match mine though his are hollow and haunted. My brother looks crushed in body and spirit. My heart twinges for him, remembering how he used to take such good care of me. I want to do the same for him, but this is too far. It's just for a day, maybe two, until I get the cash, he whispers. Just a day? Like that makes it better? I'm aware that I'm screeching, but no one seems to notice. I suppose the exchange of females might not be anything upsetting to the patrons of this place. I'll come back for you, B. he promises, already backing away from me. I gape at him, my mouth opening and closing like a confused fish. Get the fuck out of here, Malachi roars, before wrapping an arm around my waist and leading me to a booth in the back. I'm numb as my giant practically drags me across the bar. I can't feel my feet or anything else. My head begins to spin as the reality of what just happened sinks in. My brother put me up for collateral to pay off a debt. He left me with who I'm guessing is a bookie, connected to organized crime, no doubt. We stop in front of the booth and I suck in a breath before tilting my head up to look at Malachi. Dark brown eyes meet mine, his sharp look turning soft. Are you okay, Angel? He murmurs. He lifts his hand to brush some of my hair behind my ear, then cups my face. His touch is so tender, so reverent. Tears spring up in my eyes. What is happening? who is this man why do i feel safe with him briar he whispers his brow furrowing in concern black dots swim in front of my eyes the edges of my vision turning blurry my knees buckle and my stomach drops my entire body going hot and then freezing cold i've got you sweet girl malachi says softly The last thing I remember is being cradled against a warm, solid chest. Malachi's warm, spicy scent wrapping around me and carrying me away into total blackness. Chapter 3 Malachi The angel passes out in my arms, and I scoop her up, loving the weight of her against me. Briar curls up in my embrace, burying her nose into the side of my neck. Possessiveness ripples through every cell, every muscle, making me flex as I breathe into my new purpose in life, protecting this precious girl. I rearrange Briar just enough to grab my notebook and papers. Then I stride through the bar, glaring at anyone who dares look at the angel I'm carrying. Instead of going out the front door, I make my way to the back staircase, taking the steps two at a time, before arriving at my apartment above the bar. Once inside, I carefully lay Briar down on the couch. I'm barely in this shithole of a bachelor pad, but now I wish I would have taken more time to settle in and decorate. I want Briar to feel comfortable here. Glancing down at the sleeping goddess, I watch her chest rise and fall with steady breaths. Then do a quick inventory, checking for any scrapes or bruises. She's not hurt, thank God, just overwhelmed. I tear myself away from Briar just long enough to grab my pillow and all of my blankets off my bed. Gently, so damn gently, I lift Briar's head just enough to slide a pillow underneath it. Brushing a few strands of her chocolatey brown hair away from her face, I lean down and press my lips to her forehead. So soft and sweet. Her skin feels like cashmere or some other expensive material. And she smells like flowers after the rain. Fresh, floral, and earthy. I'm instantly addicted, but I need to give her space. It would kill me if she woke up and was afraid of me. With that thought in mind, I straighten up and cover Briar with the blankets from my bed, tucking them into her side so she feels nice and secure while she rests. Once I'm satisfied with her comfort level, I cross my arms and look down at the sleeping angel. Her cheeks are slightly flushed, her long, dark lashes fluttering against them every so often. Her full pink lips are slightly parted, and I try not to imagine what they would taste like. Shaking my head, I reluctantly step away, not wanting her to wake up while I'm looming over her with a hungry gaze. I look around the small space, realizing for the first time the only furniture I have is the couch and a rickety table with two wooden chairs. I grab one of the chairs and position it across from Briar, so I can be here if she wakes up and needs me. It's dark out, and when I check my watch, I see it's nearly midnight. I'm sure I have a dozen people looking for me to get a payout, and I have at least three times that many I need to chase down and collect from. But that will all have to wait. There's no place I'd rather be than sitting in this ancient, uncomfortable chair, keeping watch over my sweet girl a soft rustling sound pulls me from the uneasy sleep I slipped into. I open my eyes, blinking away the blurry haze and trying to focus. Stretching out my limbs, I groan as every one of my joints pop, along with something in my spine that definitely is cause for concern. Why am I so sore? And then I remember, Briar. My eyes fly open all the way, fully awake and already searching for my angel. Morning, Mr. Malachi, the softest voice I've ever heard says. I grin at Briar, who is sitting up on the couch with all the blankets wrapped around her like a cocoon. She's so adorable it almost hurts to look at her, especially when those big hazel eyes blink back at me. They are more blue than green this morning, and I marvel at her beauty. Just Malachi, Angel, I say with what I hope is a smile. I haven't had a reason to smile in a long fucking time. I didn't think she could get any more precious, but then her cheeks glow bright pink, the blush creeping down her neck. Right, she whispers, a tiny, tentative smile tugging at her lips. How are you feeling, I ask, starting to stand. How are you feeling? she counters. You didn't have to sleep on that chair. It must have been so uncomfortable. Here, join me. Briar pats the couch cushion next to her. You're not afraid of me? Um, Should I be? Her brow furrows, those hazel eyes narrowing slightly. She's trying to look tough, and God, it only makes her sweeter. Damn near irresistible. No, I say gruffly as I plop down next to her, never. To my absolute shock, Briar snuggles up against my side. I wrap an arm around her shoulders, pulling her closer. Good, she says with a satisfied nod of her head. You rescued me after all. You're like a real life Prince Charming. This makes me snort out a laugh. I'm no prince, sweetheart and I've never been accused of being charming. But for you? I look down at her, and she tips her head up, those multicolored eyes so full of trust. For you, I'd be anything and everything you need. Her eyes go wide, her pouty lips forming a little O as she stares at me. Shit, I'm coming on too strong, I mutter, lifting my arm from around her shoulders. No, Briar exclaims. She reaches out for my arm, tugging it back down into place before she cuddles up again. Not too strong, she murmurs, nuzzling into the side of my neck. I was just surprised. I thought I was imagining it. I thought I was going crazy. Imagining what? I whisper, leaning down until our noses are millimeters apart. Briar gives me a soft, slightly embarrassed smile nibbling on her bottom lip. I brush my nose against hers, and she giggles, the sound sinking into my bloodstream and healing every sore muscle, every bad memory, every heartache I've ever had. How is this woman so potent? And what can I do to keep her by my side forever? I just feel, she begins, her eyes locked onto mine, like we've always been together and also like I've been waiting my whole life to meet you. It makes no sense. It does to me, I assure her, rubbing my nose up and down hers, loving the soft sigh she gives me. I hate how you came to be in my care, but now that you're here, I don't think I can let you go. I pause briefly, then panic when I realize how that may have sounded to her. I'm not kidnapping you, I tell her, Briar laughs again, kissing my cheek. It's the slightest of contact, but my skin lights up, every nerve ending sizzling and longing for more. I don't mind, she says with a smile. I don't wanna be anywhere else. Hazel eyes capture my heart, and when she leans forward, I know what she wants. Need me to prove our connection, Briar? I murmur into the shell of her ear before trailing my lips down her neck. I'm playing a dangerous game. Every second my lips are on her flesh, I want more, more, more. She nods, and I grunt in approval, though I pull myself away at the last second. Need your words, Angel. Tell me what you want. Briar nods again, and I lift an eyebrow at her. She rolls her eyes that little sassy spark making my dick impossibly harder. I want, I want everything, she says tentatively. I'm just, um, a little lost here. Lost? Briar sighs, then rubs her lips together, as if deciding what to say next. "Er, maybe, inexperienced is a better word. Okay, I say slowly, not sure what she means. Do I really have to say it? She huffs out, so damn adorable, even when she's glaring at me. I nuzzle into the side of her neck, loving the way she melts into me. When it comes to you, Briar, I'm going to need all the help I can get. I've never had this before with anyone, so I guess we're both inexperienced. This makes Briar laugh. I lift my head from her neck, peering into those hazel eyes. I've never had this with anyone either, but I haven't had anything with anyone, ever. It takes me a second to realize what she's saying. Angel, are you telling me I'll be your first? I choke out. She nods, but that's not good enough for me. Words, I grunt, nearly feral at the thought. Yes, okay, she says rather forcefully. I've never done anything, even kissing. So I guess the joke's on you if you thought I'd be better or more mature, or- I curl my fingers around the back of her neck and pull my angel closer, sealing my lips over hers. Fire shoots down my spine when I get my first taste, and I already know I'll never get enough. Briar gasps, opening up for me an invitation. Sliding my tongue between her juicy lips, I groan and let my other hand wander down her throat, her chest, until I'm squeezing her big, round breasts. I find her nipples and brush my thumb over the hard little beaks. I pull Briar onto my lap so she's straddling me, my hands immediately gripping her hips and helping her rock against my aching cock. Malachi, she breathes out, Tipping her head back to break our kiss. I attach my lips to her exposed neck, sucking my mark on her. I don't give a single fuck about being a caveman around my woman. Soon, I hope to have my baby in her belly and my ring on her finger. Yes, Angel? Mm, more. I grunt, then lift her up, sliding my hands around to her ass and holding her close as I stomp off to the bathroom. When I set Briar down, she looks up at me in confusion. Despite my raging dick and overwhelming lust, I lean down and kiss the tip of her nose. Let me explore you, I tell her, stripping off her shirt, followed by her bra. Bending forward, I lick one nipple, then suck on the other, grinning when my girl whimpers for me. This shower will relax you. Then we can talk about what you wanna do next. Do I want to toss Briar down on my bed and rut into her savagely? Fuck yes. But not for her first time. She deserves so much better. I don't have roses and champagne, but I can give my woman something else. An orgasm or five sounds like a good trade-off. I make quick work of my own clothing after helping Briar out of her pants and little white panties. As soon as we step in the shower, I circle Briar's round hips and back her into the shower wall, kissing the breath from her lungs. She wiggles against me, gasping when my cock rubs her hip. All for you, Briar, I rasp, grinding my solid length against her soft skin. I grunt and pin her to the wall, ravishing her mouth before kissing my way down her body. I lick her neck. Suck on her collarbone, bite her nipples, and kiss the soft skin underneath her breasts. I lick down her tummy, kneeling before her, bowing, really, before my queen. I grab her hips and guide one leg over my shoulder, kissing the inside of her thigh. Gonna lick this little pussy right up, I grunt. Brushing my lips up her inner thigh, I grip Briar's hips, pinning her in place as she writhes with anticipation. I've got you, Briar, I murmur right before parting her pussy lips and dragging my tongue over her swollen, sensitive clit. Oh, oh my God, Malachi, she moans. Oh my God is right. Her juicy little cunt is sweet and musky, her pink lips glistening with need. I dip my tongue in her hole and massage the walls of her tight channel. Then, I flatten my tongue and drag it up her slit until I get to the bundle of nerves that controls her pleasure. Fuck, Briar, you taste so goddamn good. Love your cum on my lips, Angel. I feel her tense underneath me. She's close. I lick her up and down, landing on her clit. Sucking it in my mouth, she begins to shake in my hands. I bite down softly and Briar erupts in my mouth, gushing her release, trembling, and mumbling my name over and over. I feel like the king of the fucking world, knowing I gave her that pleasure. I lick her through her orgasm until she pushes my head away, too sensitive from all the attention. Sorry, I grunt. You're so damn delicious. I stand up and pull her in my arms, kissing her soundly. Briar pulls away from me, a wicked glint in her multicolored eyes. You look like you have some very dirty thoughts for such a sweet angel, I tease, kissing the side of her neck. Briar nods, then nibbles on her bottom lip. I do. Would you like me to show you? Fuck. Yes.
0: Welcome back. Hey, welcome back. So, like I said, make sure you check out um, the Sequoia Stuck Firm series. She's got out later this year. Um, And make sure you enter this week's giveaway for a signed paperback. Um, And also, just check our social media because Shawheart has an incredible amount of books. Yeah. So if you like this, you're going to love everything. And she's got a huge backlist for you to dive through. So make sure you check all that good stuff out. And I guess that's it. We'll see you back here Thursday for the second half. All right. so to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance.